Hi, everybody. This is Kathy. And this is Todd. And welcome to our new show called Conversations with People We Love. Um, we're going to be speaking with authors, friends, philanthropists, you name it. It's basically people who are out there making the world a better place. Yes, these people inspire us and we think they'll inspire you. And this program is brought to you by BU, Raising Whole and Courageous Kids. These aren't just workshops, it's a movement. Enjoy the show. Here we go. My name is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. Zen Parenting Radio, this is a conversations with people we love. For those of you who might be new to Zen Parenting Radio, it's a conversation between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 11, 10, and 7. And our motto, sweetie, is what? The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Wow, I usually read that. Nice job, I know. I'm well, going to give you some. There you go. Thank you. And we had the opportunity to be with Dr. Siegel, Dr. Daniel Siegel, this weekend, this past weekend, and we wanted to ask him, is that indeed your quote? Yeah. Are by, we stealing from you? By the way, he might be one of the smartest guys. I not know. Not that's alive that has ever lived, as far as I'm concerned. That, he blew my mind. But we have another smart guy in we studio do, do. today. His name is Dr. John Duffy. Dr. Duffy is a highly sought-after clinical psychologist, certified life coach, parenting expert, and proud parent. He's been working with teens, tweens, and their families for more than 15 years. He's provided the critical intervention and support needed to help hundreds of families find their footing. He's proud to be a regular parenting relationship expert on the new Steve Harvey show and the morning blend on NBC. His radio credits include NPR, WKRP, is that in Cincinnati? That is in Cincinnati. <laughs> How about wow, that? That's a real thing. Uh, the nationally it. syndicated Mr. Dad, Bobblehead Dad, and many more. He also contributes to a number of print and online media. And he's got a book that I listened to. I didn't read it, but I listened to it. It's called The Available Parent. Welcome. Thank, thank you for coming, sir. Thank you for having thank me, you. guys. All right. I'm real excited to be here. So here's the deal. I went to a dad talk, which doesn't ever happen, that Dr. Duffy spoke at. Uh, it was in Downers Grove, right? It was in Downers Grove. And I don't know, what was the name of the organization? HBNG? HGNA. HGNA. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so it's usually, just so we can say the acronym, Helping Girls Navigate Adolescence. It's usually for girls. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, they have these um, opportunities for dads and for men to, get to talk about parenting as well. Yeah. So um, I listened to Dr. Duffy speak, and I was extremely impressed. I told him I was not going to buy his book on site because I listened to most of my books. Todd does listen to books. And I have my notes as a result of listening to it, and I have many, many questions. Oh, and I haven't told you this yet. As much as I've adored you for the last 10 minutes, I do take exception with one thing you said that night. Oh, great. I'm going to (laughs) save it for now, Todd. Thanks, man. And we will get to that. He's putting you on the spot. So anyways, this book is called The Available Parent. It's it's pretty much everything that Kathy and I talk about, but with a little bit different spin on it. And I cannot recommend it highly enough, but I want to dive right in. You okay. ready, sweetie? I'm ready. I'm ready. Chapter eight, it's called competence and resilience. And just to start out, those are the two words that you said are most important, right? I think those are our goals as parents. So sometimes I work with parents and they can't find the rudder for their parenting. They can't figure out like, you know, where am I headed? What What's my point here when I'm mm-hmm. trying to intervene in some way or another, or my kid's not talking to me, what am I trying to do in the end. And I always say, hey, at the end of the day, your kid's 17, 18, heading off to college or whatever the next adventure is, competence and resilience, if you keep those things in mind and those are your goals, you're probably doing the right thing. So that's what I want people to keep in mind. If you're if you're raising a competent, resilient kid, if, and, and picture it. Yeah. Picture your kids, picture your girls, 
at you know heading off to college and you know they're competent and you know they're resilient to tough times, you'll be happy. So go ahead, sweetie. I, we're going to be like jumping all over. I, I love this. So I love. So obviously, your book is about tweens and teens, and that's who you primarily work with. Um, Todd and I talk a lot about how those those things, competence and resilience, are just as important when the kids are really young. Do you believe that as well? Maybe even more so. Okay, I mean, you know, like because that's where you want to start. You yeah. know, and um, and I've seen parents of young. Children. I'm thinking of one mom in particular. We'll save names. Great. Um, no problem. Who would say, um, uh, "Honey, would you mind giving uh, Bobby the blue plate? He really wants the blue plate today, and you take the red one, and maybe you can switch off tomorrow." Which is fine, except she would always accommodate her son over her daughter. Mm. So, wow, yeah. her daughter is highly competent yeah. and highly resilient, and yeah. her son, a few years later is not so much so. He yeah. still has a lot to learn. And sometimes he feels a little more entitled or a little uh, has a little less frustration tolerance. Yes. He's a little more impulsive. Fuse is shorter. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, so I, 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 I think I did a bad job introducing this book because really I think the book is universal. I think it, that whether you're a parent or not, you can get something out of it. But this is specific to raising successful and resilient tween teens and tweens. So I just want to make sure I say I say that out loud. And I also want to say that a lot of the emails we get from people on the show, because we talk about, um, we try and talk about things in universal ways, but because our kids are 11, 10, and 7, they will always say, well, wait till you have teenagers. It's a totally different thing, Kathy and Todd. Please talk about teenagers. So we're just so thankful that you're here. Yeah, we usually don't get this opportunity because our, you know, we, we talk about things that we're used to talking about, which is our oldest is 11. So we've been talking about a lot of baby stuff. So uh, the introduction to the teenage brain is something relatively new from a guest standpoint. Yeah. So good. this is good. So what we well, and say? if I could give you guys a little Please. comfort about your, your 11-year-old, your 10-year-old, and your 7-year-old, you know, you hear all these scary things about what it's like to raise a teenager. Yeah. But if you're an available parent and you're raising competent, resilient kids, honest to God, it's not so scary. Like yeah. I have one child, he's 19, and it was never scary. It always, as long as the connection is moving smoothly and you feel like, hey, there's a, there's a current between us, there's a flow – then I, I don't think it's ever been very scary. I don't think it has to be. You know, I think we right. oversell how awful mm. teenagers are and how awful these years are. I don't think that's necessary. There's a lot of storytelling. Here's my a lot of fear. Here's my fear. story. When people hear that I have three daughters and they say, you know, it's usually on the golf course with customers and they say, oh, wait till they're in their teenage years. Wait till they, their body starts changing. You're going to want to travel all the time. And I so get offended and take exception to that because I've decided that I'm – you're going to say something right now. I was going to say, do you really get offended? I do get offended. You do get offended. I'm okay. like – I'm going to have a really good relationship with my daughters when their bodies change and they're in their teenage years. That doesn't mean we're not going to have challenges. That doesn't mean we're going to struggle. But to – for the only thing that you want to say – is that it's going to suck in, oh, by the way, Todd, you're going to want to travel all the time and never be home. It drives me nuts. No, I agree completely. And and certain cliches and certain sayings I'm, I'm all about, but that one, mm-hmm. that idea that, you know, oh, you've got a teenage daughter coming, good luck, pal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think that serves you. I don't think that serves your daughters. And I think you've got the right, the right idea behind it. No, I'm going to have a good relationship with them all the way through. If that's your intention, man... I, I'm banking on it. I bet it happens. And, yeah. and a lot of people laugh at me like, oh, wait till you get through it. But anyways, um, so Dr. Duffy, let's say uh, there's a parent out there who has a teenager who is really struggling and making the same mistakes over and over again. In your book, you say that these teenagers still have the strength and inner wisdom inside of them, but it's hiding. 
if they keep making the same mistakes, where's that wisdom and that strength? Yeah. Uh, parents ask me that all the time. Parents bring their kids to my practice asking, you know, like, hey, you taught, you say every kid is brilliant. Well, prove it. Here's mine. Show you me the brilliance. Here's mine. Yeah. Because my kid's, my kid's brilliant at, at World of Warcraft and that's it. Yeah. And so, you know, like, uh, I, I don't see it. What, what I usually coach parents to do, and I hate to make it all about the parents, but oh. a lot of times it's about the parents, oh, man. we're so with you. Right? And, and so my bias is always like, open up your approach because you probably have, like all of us do, some picture of where you want your child to go, where, they, where you want them to be in life. And if you hold that as the only uh, acceptable outcome, then your parenting is going to be driven by that. And anything that falls away from that is going to feel unacceptable to you. And you're, you might say you don't show that. You might not say it overtly, but your kids are smart enough to pick up on it. But if you open up your mind and you really pay attention to your child openly, you know, in, in the moments between crises, you will find the brilliance. And it might be not what you want. You know what I mean? It might be like, wow, he, she can freestyle rap like I didn't, I had no idea, totally. you know? But there's something to that, right? And, that, and there, if you can find that skill and that self-esteem that's being built through it, hey, that might be a career, but it probably won't. It's probably just what works for now. So you don't have to panic, right. but you just get on board. Get on board with what's working for them. Totally. It's like it's different than you predicted. It may be something like I love that you use rap or, or freestyling because it may be something you don't even understand. But ask them, watch, notice, and what makes them come alive? You know, when are they like on? You know, when are, when are they excited? And you're so right. It's like eliminating that tunnel vision. Oh, that's so good. Oh, and Kathy, if I can interrupt. Like, yes. yes, that's that's right. And um, I had a parent say to me recently, uh, about his son, we just don't have that much in common. Mm. And, and, you know, my, my point to that was, oh, you do, because you don't both want him to be happy. So get into that, whatever he's yes. into, you know, like put, take the earbud, take one of those earbuds listen with him yes. and say, you know, what's this about? I want to know what you're listening to. I want to know what you love yes. and then get into it. And the joy of your child, that's your shared interest. You don't have to get into freestyle rapping that's necessarily. Right. Yeah, he's so mad, but he won't give up I think, I think this is behind the times. No, it's not, because this is good. So here's my here's why I'm playing Eminem. It was either in the book, Dr. Duffy, or when you spoke, um, you had a preconceived notion about Eminem, right? I did. Tell I me did. about it. Now this, so this goes back probably seven or eight years. Um, but in my head, from what I'd heard, Eminem was misogynistic, and he was awful, and he was uh, he cussed constantly. You know, you want as a parent, you wanted nothing to do with this guy. And I had a boy who was approaching the teenage years, so mm-hmm. I thought, all right, I'm going to listen to these kids and keep my kid away from Eminem. But in order to get this one kid to talk, I have a stereo in my office for me to for easy listening between right. teenage clients. Right? Some smooth so jazz, little, little yeah. smooth jazz, right? Goes down easy. Yeah. So this one kid, he wouldn't talk to me, and I said, "Well, you you want to play some music, dude?" And he's like, "Yeah, uh, but there's going to be swears in it. Are you up for that?" And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay, I'll man up to this. I'll, right. I'll go ahead and go along with the kid." Right. He puts on Eminem, and. Not only was I not put off by the guy, I asked the kid, like, well, what speaks to you about this? And he would slow down and he'd say, well, listen to this lyric. And he would tell me the lyric and it would be like, oh, this is, 
this is your what Simon and Garfunkel or somebody was to me. Eminem is to you. This is important music, right? And and there's a reason that kids are drawn to it. It's not just to make us crazy. Mm -hmm. This kid was moved by it. He was inspired by it sincerely. You know. So, So how, as a parent, do we connect those dots? Like, what is it? What do we need to do to use this example in their own lives? All right. So here's. Here's the lesson learned for me, yeah. that, and I wasn't even a parent, yeah. is that I was uh, driven by three things that don't work. Fear, I was afraid like, oh yeah, this isn't going to work for my kid and he's going to be drawn into drugs or something horrible or being misogynistic. Um, judgment, this isn't uh, culturally appropriate somehow. And ego, my mm-hmm. own ego, this isn't what I pictured, That's this right. isn't what I want for my kid. And those three things, I feel like that breaches good parenting, mm. fear and judgment and ego. Mm. And fear and ego are the biggest ones. You know, if, we, if we're driven by our egos, we're not parenting very well, right? right? I mean, and if we're, and, and absolutely make all our bad decisions out of fear, you know? Right. So if we can put fear on the back burner and just open our minds a little bit and trust that our kids are okay, because by and large they are, yeah. then, then I think we're on the right path. Awesome. You know, so two things. Number one, those three things that you mentioned and just the whole idea of saying, you know, we're not going to do Eminem in our home, which obviously, you know, was completely – you completely saw that differently later. It's missing this huge opportunity for connection too. When parents say, I don't know my kid or I don't understand my kid, if you're shut down in all these areas, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to look at that. I don't like that friend. I don't like – there's nowhere for that kid to connect. There's right. like no line of there's no like cord right. that keeps you connected. Absolutely, and I and I use this word available, and I use it ad nauseum. I annoy people with it, but well, it's that's, the book. You got to right, keep saying gotta, it. Got to pitch the got to pitch the product. That's right. But, but but that's where parents become unavailable, right? If they if they they're selective, like you can talk to me about this, but I don't want to hear about exactly. that. You know, like then all of a sudden that's not really parenting, and kids get that message, like. Oh, okay. I'm not going to talk to my mom about that, so I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And you fall. By the time your 11 year old becomes 15, you're in the enemy camp. It's not you know you really are, and and you're not being talked to at all. Or it's just kind of like yeah, school was fine. Instead of like mom, the coolest thing happened at school today, and you're open to hearing it. Big difference. Because that's the two things. They're, then you're saying to them, I like this part of you, but not this part of you. Ugh. So the child has to has to be something different in your presence, which means they're inauthentic in front of you. And then they integrate that message that there's something about me that's wrong that my parents don't accept. So I love what you just said. So by the time they're 15, they're like, well, if you don't like me, then, I mean, of course, they do really like you and love you. They want that attention and that love. But it becomes an argument. Right. Unspo- you can't even verbalize why I'm so annoyed at you. And I think with every little thing you take away, like, you know, I don't want to talk to you about this. I'm not willing to talk to you about this. You're also breaching their self-esteem a little yes. bit, right? They're, they're puncturing that self-worth. And and that is an enormous price to pay mm. and really hard to recoup, you know, um, on the back end because you're losing trust as you go. Yeah. And, you know, and it's really hard to regain that because your kid already has in their mind, mm, I can't talk to mom about I can't. this stuff. That's you know? already like, been shut down, door closed right, and locked. Right. Oh, that's so cool. Um, Dr. Duffy, do you remember um, the example? in your book about Jackie's advice? Uh, uh, if you could give me a cue to that, Todd, I, I'm Jackie, sure I do. Jackie's advice <laughs> I was she said um, some, of the, some of the more important advice that you got was from, from some mom out on the East Coast with a New York accent smacking her gum and says, uh, you know, what, what – because she had 
teenage kids and what advice would she give to other parents who have teenage kids and hers was tell them not to worry too much about it these kids they grow you know they can change adolescence isn't the same the whole time don't worry too much don't take it personally don't take uh but don't take any crap either and save yourself some trouble just get unlimited texting and get it over with that's what I thought. You meant. <laughs> That's exactly. Um, what? And yes, I remember that now, and I re- I can hear her accent in, in her heavy kind of New Jersey accent in my mind. But yeah, what what I what I love about that advice is we forget that not just adolescence, but all of childhood is a process. So you know, I have I've had parents in my office say, you know, well, he doesn't like me. You know, my kid doesn't like me right now, and I'm like. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> you, know, you may be right. Right now, right. maybe not. You know, maybe mom mom wins over you right now. But it'll change. And this is all a process. And not that, you know, everything in childhood is a phase, but things do evolve. You know what I mean? So if you feel like, oh, my kid's way too involved in, in, in video games right now, which is something I hear more than anything else. I'm you know, sure. my, my thought is usually, yeah, that's probably not going to be true a couple of years from now. And it probably isn't all bad. There's probably some skill being developed there. And if you would pay attention, you'd probably figure out what that is. And you and you yeah. wouldn't be so panicked, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And that, that, you know, something I learned about video games, we have a nephew who's uh, 15, is that it really is a connection time for boys. Not only sometimes when they get together, but now they can do it online or, you know, they yeah, can with talk their to each other with their headsets. And, yeah, with their buddies. And they have this connection yes. that they so long for. And so it's beyond the game. Yes. You know, it's emotional and relationship. Absolutely. And and that's that's true of a lot of the technology our kids have before them now. You know, we didn't grow up with this stuff. So we think every time they're looking at a screen, they're disconnected. Totally. And, we, you know, and that's not really the case. It's kind of like what we used to do well, I'm a little older than you guys, but you know, we used to have like the phone attached to the wall on a cord. Oh, we had you know, that. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. So you know, like we're not that young. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I would take it into a closet. Pull yeah, 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 yeah. So this is our, our kids have a little more advantage as far as that goes. Right. And they've got some cooler ways of being in touch with one another, but we can't really blame them for the culture they've grown up in. You know, right. and this is how kids connect. And so, and it's not that bad. You know, a lot of kids connect in way with people and in ways that they wouldn't otherwise that we wouldn't have when we were their age, you know? So it's pretty cool that they're reaching out. And I've worked with some kids who are painfully shy and, and really disconnected and texting and a little social media is a lifeline for them. Video games are a lifeline for them that lead to something else, you know, lead to something better and more connected. But if you take it away, and I usually beg parents, don't take anything away but that. You know? Yeah, right. Um, because it is their means of being social. You isolate them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is this in the book too? This is in the book. It. He's got a whole chapter on sex. Things and the bad things that may be. All right. So this is what I got out of the sex chapter. A parent that you, you, I don't know where you got this from. A parent that talks with a teen about sex may delay intercourse for up to two years. Is that a statistic, that's or was that, that your no, 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 no? That's a statistic. That is that is a, that, that I that I don't have a big enough uh, uh, n. Yes. is what they call it. right yes. <laughs> to to say that with certainty. Although I know that that's true. You know, uh, parents think eh, I don't know if I'm a, that big of an influence because we got the culture and we've got you know videos and the we've billboards, got kids, and the media, kids yeah. saying to other kids, you know. So we think our kids are totally susceptible. And we don't think we have that much influence. But the biggest and there's good. 
usually psych research, if I'm being perfectly honest, just to call yeah. my field out a little bit, yeah. is terrible. Okay. But this was actually pretty good research that suggested that the more parents are open and talk to their kids about sex, the more kids are willing to heed their parents' words. Does that mean they never have yeah. any, you know, that, that nothing ever happens? No. But will they be smart about it? Might they delay something that they wouldn't otherwise? Yeah. So that, that let's is, love that. So let's call these parents out. Why would a parent who knows that statistic not talk to their kids about sex? Do you guys know the answer to that? I do. I yeah, have yeah. my own answer. Because every parent can answer that. Um, but I'll throw mine out. Okay. It's awkward. It's yeah, a nightmare. Absolutely. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's uncomfortable. We right. don't want to do it. it you know, and, and So that's the cost. That's that's the cost is that discomfort, right? Yeah. And, and we don't have that learning curve because mm-hmm. I don't know about your parents, but yeah. my dad... I don't know if he took 15 seconds to talk about sex with me. I don't remember the 15 (laughs) seconds, you know? Um, So, you know, it's not like we can say, you know, like, okay, how did our parents handle that? Mm -hmm. We have to kind of brave. We are pioneers here, but we have to do it. We are. We are pioneers. Uh, I do. I talk to parents about sex ed and then I talk to fifth graders about it, you know, but I talk to the parents first because they know I'm going to go in and be with their kids. And so they're asking all these questions. What are you going to say? And will you do this? And will you say this? And I always say to them, I am going to maybe open a conversation, but you have to fill in those gaps because I tell them to go home and tell you what they learned and to ask you questions. But their comment always is exactly what you just said. I, nobody ever had this talk with me and it was better that I learned from my friends. It was, you know, they, again, it's that storytelling where we, we romanticize our history and we say the way that I was raised is the right way. Therefore, I'm going to let my kid and we don't recognize that we were often afraid of our parents or nothing was ever discussed emotions or anything. So Mm -hmm. we just didn't have that door to go through through with right, them. Right, right, right. And, and uh, this is something I said to the group of dads that I talked to um, w- with Todd. Um, one thing we forget is with every interaction, we're creating memories. And as, as uncomfortable as that sex talk is, I, I know for a guy my age, I know a lot of teenagers yeah. <laughs> and, and they reflect fondly on those talks, mm. on, the, on that awkwardness. So, hey, my, my parents were willing to forward that pass with me. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a big deal to kids. Like, you know, even even though it was horrible for them, they were willing to talk to me about it. So I'm willing to talk to them about it and, and more and more with time. Well, and I think what's important so is that um, knowing that it's, it's uncomfortable, like, because people, parents go in like, oh, I'm uncomfortable, so I must be doing it wrong. No, it's uncomfortable, yeah. but fight through that yeah. discomfort and push through because hopefully you can delay your kid having intercourse for two years. Right. And it's an ongoing conversation, right? I mean, it's, you know, that's what's... No, just one time <laughs> when you're seven years old and then that's it. Well, I mean, I just wanted to... I know, to I, know, this. I know. And you hold your breath for just... just I, I can make it through this. Here's what happens. This goes there. You have to be fully in love and that's it. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm out. <laughs> Microphone dropped. <laughs> no, I mean, it has to be an ongoing conversation yeah. because because it's so uncomfortable. The first time it's going to be kind of uh, brutal, really brutal, right? Yeah. You know, um, I'll tell you if you'll indulge me sure. with my son. So it, really, I've gone to school on what I do with him, and I found myself like he got into Friends, the TV show Friends, when he was you know eleven or twelve. He so and I could hang it. out. Yeah. yeah, we hung out. <laughs> Big fan. And so every, you know, it, Friends gives you an opportunity to talk about sex A every lot. You know, minute or two. So I would just freeze frame it, and I would mm. say, okay. Un- uh, a really awkward moment. We're going to take two minutes here, you yes. know, and then we move on. You know oh, what I mean? And I so like it. every couple of weeks we were talking about sex and, you know, and now, um, 
I'm not going to tell you the inappropriate thing he said when I visited him in the college, but it, but it, it told me, <laughs> all right, at least we're connected and we can talk about these right. things. <laughs> and not only that, but a frame of reference for the conversation, because then he can bring up, Dad, remember when we were watching Friends? Yes. Rather than remember the sex talk when you sat me down across from you at the table and it was very uncomfortable? JC and I just had that experience because she and I watched Friends last week. This is so crazy. It was actually two weeks ago. And it was a Ross and Rachel where, long story, but they had already, you know, they hadn't had the baby together yet, but they were contemplating sleeping together. And she kept saying, are they married? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of going around about in many different ways. And I was like, they eventually do get together. <laughs> right. I said, but they just have, and she's like, so are they like, it opens that door yeah. to, there are many different ways to have a relationship. Right. And here is our value system yep. in our home, you know, rather than this doesn't exist or nobody has sex unless they're married. That's just not honest. It's not honest. And, and it's important to be honest, even about this stuff. That's, yes. that's another fear parents have is like, boy, if I tell them what the deal is, <laughs> then they're going to go ahead and it's, License. I'm giving them license. Totally. If I talk about sex or drugs or any of these taboo things, yeah. then you know, basically, I'm just sending them out on the streets to try it, and that's not how kids work. Right. By and large, what you're what you're reading there is your kids are going to heed your words. You, you you gain credibility yes. with your willingness to talk to them, right? Yes. You know, and and in a, li- a little bit of respect both ways, right? Your your kids respect you more. Because they're like, yeah, they're willing to go there with me. I like that. You know, like kids like that. They do. And one of the things that Todd and I say when we give that sex talk to parents is your kids come into the world, they're born into the world as sexual beings. So there's an acceptance of this isn't like a thing that if you don't talk about it doesn't happen. They already are. Right. So why not help them with that piece of themselves that's going to be nurtured either by you or – you know, in ways that are yeah, they, probably- they undervalue the importance of se- sexuality. And as parents, we never want to think of our kids as being sexual creatures when, in fact, it's kind of born comes that way. with the, the with territory. the territory. Right. And if you gave parents, you know, a blind survey, they would probably say they want their kids to be happy and to have a happy sex life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But they just don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. And, and it, it doesn't work that it way. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Figure that out. On Chapter your own. nineteen. You told a story about a guy named Bob who came home drunk one night and his. Uh, physically handicapped mom had uh, needed to be carried upstairs. Will you tell that story? I will, yes. So uh, this is actually a friend of mine. This is a true story. His mom had muscular sclerosis. She's had. She's still alive. He, she's had it um, since he was a kid. Bob was 16 or 17 years old. He comes home, and she is kind of laid out on the couch the way she is most evenings, um, watching TV. And Bob's job of all his siblings, and I had he had six or seven of them, was to carry his mom up. And, um, and so he goes in and he kind of stumbles in and Mm. says, you know, okay, I'm ready to carry up. And mom says, you're not going to carry me anywhere. Um, and that, and so she slept on the couch that night Mm. and she did, she, so she never lectured Bob. She never yelled at him. She never said, you know, here's what's wrong with underage drinking. All she said was, you're not carrying me anywhere. And she knew that 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 was a heavy enough consequence that yes. Bob, she gave him enough respect at 16 that, you know, you're not going to come in here disrespecting me, inebriated, and expect me to trust you. Mm-hmm. So she knew that an awful lot of message got delivered with very, very few words, right? And so there was this True. deep love and respect between them. And Bob never once came home. Now, he never came home drunk to carry his mom up. Right. He would go out afterwards. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he got, the, he got the picture. He really did yeah. get the picture. And so, and he delayed a lot of that part of his life then because he realized, 
oh, that's not right. That's not respectful. But he didn't need a lecture. And, and the point uh, of putting that in the book had nothing to do with a handicap. Yeah. It had to do with lecturing. Mm-hmm. Parents lecture their kids all the time, whether they're my kid's age, your kid's age. We want a lecture and we think like the more I say this, the more they're going to hear it. Whereas kids hear Charlie Brown's teacher. They wah, hear that. Wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, they, you know, after a while. And it doesn't take a, very long. No. And I think most of us think like, well, our parents were able to lecture us, you know, but a lot of us were motivated by fear when we were kids. We were making the sound decisions. We were just afraid. That's right. Now kids are smarter and they're not so afraid. Mm-hmm. And so they don't need the lecture. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I had one great moment in my office. My office offers a lot of fun opportunities, but I had a dad lecturing a son and I stopped him. And asked the son to finish the lecture. And he gets up and puts his hands on his hips. And he, he does his dad's voice. Totally. It was beautiful. And he yeah. got it perfectly. And yeah. I asked the dad, like, how do you do? He said, man, I'm pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds just like me. And the, but, right. And the point is, your kid knows your lecture. Yeah. You, don't ha- you can spare yourself that. By and large, you can say, do you know how I feel about drugs and alcohol and you doing it at 14? You know, like, okay, good. You know, like you don't have to lecture on and on about it. You can have a discussion. And, you know, one of our statements that we say a lot on the show is your children learn by watching how you live, not by listening to what you say. And that, like you said, a lot of our words are just wah, 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 wah. But they're watching how you or feeling how you treat them, how you treat other people, how you experience your own life. They're, they're absorbing, they're like sponges absorbing your, your and other people in their lives, role modeling, you know, how do we live a life that feels good and contented? You know, it's probably one of the most important missed parts of parenting, that role modeling piece, right? Because there's a a lot of parents roll their eyes at it. Like, you know, oh man, you know, like what, I'm not going to go do homework or something, but the call to action is really like, be big, be inspiring, keep yes. living. You know what I mean? Get off the couch and do something cool yourself. And then your kids will follow suit. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're a volunteer and I, there's a story in the book or somewhere about that, where I had these parents who were like volunteers on boards and doing all this charity work. And this kid had this opportunity to go to Mexico for spring break or to do this charity work. Oh, it was in uh, New Orleans mm-hmm. in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. And he picked Katrina. And I asked him, well, why would you do that? You know, Mexico sounds pretty cool. And he effectively said, I don't know. It's in the blood or something. How but about that? Was, you know? He knew that he could do it. Yeah. I mean, he knew that he could do it. And it, that it would be fulfilling to it him. Would. Way more fulfilling. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So um, chapter 21, why micromanaging never works. Now, one philosophy that, that I say a lot is uh, my job as a parent of these three daughters is to keep them safe and get out of their way. Okay. And um, you tell a story about a mom who uh, lays out his clothes for her son, makes him snacks after school, does his chores for him when he's tired. And how old was that boy? I believe he was 16 years old. 17 years old. Oh, jeez. What do you think about that? Uh, uh, You know, that makes me crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, and and, uh, listen, this mom, uh, at one point we probably ought to make here, this was a loving, sweet good-intentioned, intelligent person, right? I I mean, uh, it's not like, you know, oh, gosh, yeah, I I found this one really ridiculous mom, and I'll highlight her. A lot of really great parents miss this idea that, oh, I'm kind of coddling my kid. I'm micromanaging their lives, and this is not empowering somehow. Like, you know, it's better for him to pick out his clothes at 17 Mm -hmm. than for me to do that, and I'm not taking anything away from him, you know? So 
Parenting isn't about giving every uh, you know material thing or your labor to them. Sometimes it's empowering them and stepping away. You know, I, I use the word available, and a lot of parents think, you know, well, I don't have time for that. But my point is often like, no, no, I'm talking about less time, yeah. not more. You know right. what I mean? Less time parenting, more time connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that what this mom does is not just unnecessary, but it's a show of no faith right. in this kid's ability to just raise himself. Right. Exactly. And you know, one of my favorite words that I use a lot, compassion, compassion, compassion. And when working with parents, how you realize some of the worst choices, the the most awful choices they make are done in love. Like the story that they've created is this is how I love my child. I set out his clothes and really, so it's not a, like you said, it's never a, that's a crazy parent. It's they love their child and they don't, they're not using the right tools to demonstrate their love and they're actually harming their kid in the process and they don't even see it. And, and that kid goes off and is not equipped, not competent, not resilient, not ready, you know? So, right. You're right. Um, And we think that's love, but it's something it's else. It's something else. And it's fulfilling, I think, maybe a need of ours. It's right our crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's our yeah. crap. It so exists. I would like to bring this podcast to a... No. Oh, man. <laughs> we're we're not over, but here's where I'm going to take exception to Dr. Duffy because 99% of your message, I feel like, I don't know. I, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. In that talk with the dads, you probably have no idea what I'm about to say. You said, I think two or three times, girls are mean. And I totally, once again, <laughs> take offense. I'm offended by that. Are you and offended? Let's talk yes, about the word I offended. Yes, I am. I'm offended that Dr. Duffy said that girls are well, mean because I have. I know I'm biased. I have three daughters. They're wonderful. They're loving. They make mistakes, but they're loving. Their friends are loving and loving, loving. That doesn't mean that there's a lot of girls out there that can display a bunch of uh, 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 mean tendencies. But when an expert says something like that, it tells those dads – that they, they're going to say the same damn thing. So I question you on saying that. Fair enough. Um, and I'm going to expand it to girls are mean. And you, Todd, you can be mean sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> like right now. Like for putting him on the spot. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. And my, my message there. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't back away from it okay. entirely. Bring it. Is, um, so I work with boys and I work with girls, okay. right? And um, the way boys treat each other is not always with kindness, Um but there's usually some good nature underneath it, right? So, and even when you get down to some of the stuff I remember from my childhood, the swirlies, the locking mm-hmm. a guy in a locker, some of the real bullying stuff, some, a lot of guys can let that roll off their backs. A lot of the bullying today happens online. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen physically. Mm-hmm. It happens online. And girls being more mature and sophisticated and having sharper tongues in a lot of ways can ruin each other really easily via social media. Right. And, and, and it happens sometimes. I won't say that boys are immune to this, but it happens more with girls. And I think it has something to do with with the culture of, of girls and the competitiveness between them. Um, and it is um, upsetting and alarming to me because it's it's growing, I think, more than it's shrinking. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I, I highlighted that because I... Because I think sometimes dads can model that, you know, can model that so meanness, true. right? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and I think they can also model kindness, you know? And, um, and, and I think that that was kind of a call to action to these guys to kind of rise to that occasion and treat your daughter with kindness 
and don't kind of have this closed door policy of, you know, well, we can be really like sardonic and sarcastic and rude at home, but you can't be that way outside the home. True. That, True. you know, uh, yeah. what do you think? Well, I was going to say that I, you know, for me, it's just, I'm just such a word person. It's all about semantics because I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I, um, but you know, Rachel Simmons work like the curse of the good girl and all that. So basically what we know from research, um, is that girls, because they are not given the opportunity often to express how they really feel. And I know, you know, all this, um, they are told all the time, be nice, be kind, be nice, be kind. And all those feelings of anger and frustration, annoyance and sadness that every human being has, has, they've been told to stuff it. And so there comes a point where girls are not in face to face. They're told you have to be nice to everybody, but that's not a true whole human being. So with boys, there's, I can even say this, Todd and I joke about this. Like he'll be talking to his friends on the phone and someone won't show up one night and he'll be like, dude, you're such a jerk. You know, I can't believe you didn't show up even at this age. You're an idiot. And I will talk to my friends and be like, Oh, where were you? And, and is everything okay? And we just have a different culture of communication doesn't give anyone permission to be mean. Right, I'm not right. saying mean is okay, but there's when you really understand the underlying of what girls are taught at an early age, it makes sense why sometimes things feel more vicious. And that's where we have to teach them emotional awareness. I agree completely. Yeah. And and I and I appreciate that context. Yeah. And and part of the issue there is that boys don't have the depth of relationships. And boys and men, like when you say that, like, and we talk about like, hey, what, you idiot, you weren't there. Yeah. But you know, like part of the reason I was surprised to talk to a hundred men, but wouldn't be surprised to talk to a hundred women is because women are willing to relate at a deeper level. And there's a vulnerability and a risk affiliated with that, that we men kind of allow ourselves an immunity to, but we miss out on something there too. You know what I mean? We miss out on depth of relationship. You know, part of uh, parents like you and I, Todd, I mean, we have to teach our kids, boys or girls, that, you know, that vulnerability and that emotional expression is not weakness. It's strength. You know what I mean? There's a lot of good stuff underneath that. There is. And thank you so much for that point, because that, that gives it even a broader context of that we look at the you know girls and how they're sometimes so you know want to be so kind to each other but you're right they value and they want to keep those relationships intact like it drives me crazy when moms will tell me well my daughter said someone was mean to her and i just told her don't be her friend forget about her you'll find friends next year no, no. we aren't wired that way right. when you're i mean and i would say to a mom if your next door neighbor was mean to you every day would you be fine with that would you never think about that and that we have to be more we have to help our girls, we may not be able to change that girl who sits next to her, but we have to help our girls process those feelings of that disconnect. And that sometimes you're right, that boys don't have that depth of feeling all the time. Some do. That so it so you can call someone a jerk and not feel the repercussions. Of oh that. yeah, for sure. What a great context. Thank yeah. you. All right, I, I want to talk new. about uh, chapter twenty three. Why underestimating never works. Doctor Duffy, you um, tell a personal story about how your dad took you into the basement to lift weights, right? <laughs> and how many times did he do that? Uh, Walt took me down to the basement one time and one time only to lift weights. We do things differently around here, Dan. Put the gun away. Maybe I will and maybe I won't. Stashed rod, Danny. You shouldn't grab me, Johnny. My mother grabbed me once. 
once. <laughs> what That's, is that? Johnny Dangerously. Did you know that uh, Johnny yes, Dangerously? Of course. Michael Keaton's one of my favorites. Man. I, when I read that in the book, when I read that in the book, I'm like, the fact that your dad brought you down to the to to lift weights once, it just reminded me of that movie scene. Um, what was his name? Joe Piscopo. Is that his name? Yeah, Joe Piscopo. Yeah, yeah. So it's why did I? So what is that all about? All right. So you know, um, I thought. At the time, I was um, uh, about 140 pounds and 6'3". And, um, and so dad thought, you know, well, we, we should, you know, get John a little bulked up and, you know, um, and I'll show him a little confidence in him and I'm going to show him how to lift weights and this is going to be great for his self-esteem and, you know, but the once. Yeah. <laughs> the once made, t- took that message away entirely and it felt to me like, oh, yeah, dad gave up on me. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, this was never going to work. He right. gave it so a shot. The and- idea is... I'm weak. I mean, and I kind of grew up with that message in my head. You know, one thing we have to realize as parents is our our kids are susceptible to our messages and we have to be, we have to treat our messages with a lot of care. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're overt and sometimes they're subtle. But, you know, the idea that I was not the strongest guy, Mm -hmm. that was overt and subtle, you know, like, and and, and that really ran rampant over my self-worth. It took me a long time to overcome that and to think like, oh yeah, maybe I bring something to the party here, mm-hmm. yes. you know. So uh, paying attention to my family of origin and the one, the, the the families of the people I work with, I always watch for those messages. And if there's you know like an eye roll, like you know, well you know he doesn't care, he's not that bright or something like that. You yes. know, for if, if parents are deprecating toward their kids. Um, in a way that feels like shtick, mm-hmm. yeah, shtick doesn't work. Yeah, you know no. what I mean. Shtick does not work in families. Mm-mm. Like inside jokes work in families, humor works in families. But if it's shtick that's mean spirited in the end, the kid carries that message. They might be able to roll with it and seem like they're okay, but by and large they're not, and they're internalizing the message and they carry it with them and, and, and out in the world, it's part of what they bring. That's baggage. That is a dad passing his baggage on to his son. I talk about baggage. It's all the stuff that our parents give us that we don't want that they can't carry for themselves, so they make us carry it for them. So go ahead. Well, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. It's really – shtick is really passive aggressiveness. It is. You know what I mean? It's really I want to say something to you because I'm uncomfortable with a, a, a part of you, but instead of saying it, I'm going to make a joke about it. Yep. And I'm going to have you hear it, but then I'm going to say, oh, I'm just kidding. Don't be so sensitive about these things that I'm yeah. trying to make you sensitive about. Right. You know, like it's this crazy message where kids – it it really has an energy where you're kind of like, I don't even know what to do with that. Yep. yep. You know? And, and I like that that phrase. Uh, you know, I'm uncomfortable comfortable with a part of you. Yeah. That's what kids walk away with. Yes. My, my parents don't accept and are uncomfortable with a part of me. Yes. And that is a really, really harsh message for a kid of any age yes. to try to decipher and make sense of in any positive way. That's mm-hmm. right. When your parents are, you know, I think of parenting, you know, get rid of all the stories about parenting and all the safety stuff and everything. As a parent, really your job is to kind of say who you came into this world as is exactly who you're supposed to be. And I'm kind of your first line of defense of making sure you know that. Mm-hmm. And when that falls away, when your first line of defense is gone because they basically don't like pieces of you, ouch, because then you're susceptible to all those societal messages. Suddenly you're unsafe, right? Suddenly and the, and the things unsafe. that the parents are afraid of start happening. Totally. Right? You know, oh, that makes me get teary. Yeah, it's sad. 
Yeah. So um, we got about five minutes left, okay. and I got through maybe half of what I wanted to get. Okay, at. I'll shut up because I'm talking. No, no, a lot. no. I, it's it's just because I didn't. We didn't allow enough time because I think this conversation can go on for a long time. Um, but uh, is there anything that you wanted to ask? Because I want to give him an opportunity to promote his book and everything else. But no, I feel like I've we've had such a great exchange, and I've already gotten new words from you. So thank you so much. Oh. Your your message is so connected to what we're saying, and I so appreciate. Um, even though, like you, I'm a therapist, so I've worked with a lot of adolescents, adolescents, teens, and tweens, but it's nice to have an expert in that area come on and say, listen, it's the same message. It's a universal principle because a lot of times parents don't trust that. I think that's true, and, and I appreciate that, but I think we've got three uh, experts in the room. Oh, well, <laughs> I really do, and I, it, it's, been, it's been a whole lot of fun talking. So thank what you. if somebody wants to buy this book? What do you do? All right, so you go to, you go to Amazon, and, uh, and, and you go to the little search uh, icon, and you look for The Available Parent or Dr. John Duffy, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, click uh, buy. What about your practice? Uh, my Are you practice, promoting that? Or I'm, no? pro- I'm promoting it uh, if you're available during the day mm-hmm. as opposed to the evening. I was going to say, more, you probably have a wait yeah, list. Yeah, three, three to nine, I'm usually pretty booked. But uh, but um, in, uh, I'm in LaGrange, uh, Illinois. Um, my uh, phone is 847-951-8800. My website is www.drjohnduffy.com. Doc, awesome. um, we got to have you back. Oh, I would love this to come so back. Great. Okay, because I'm there's some I, there's some better stuff that I didn't include because we ran out of time. So was it really better or just as I was going to play a clip from Breakfast Club that I didn't get a chance to play. He just oh, wants man. to get his producer stuff. <laughs> I just like playing. I just like playing movie like. <laughs> All right, Dr. Daffy, you're awesome. We'll have you back sometime soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank All right. you. All right.